0: And so we're going to talk about character. And somebody once said that everything starts with a thought. And then a thought always breeds an attitude, whether it's positive or negative. And then then an attitude leads right into a habit. And habits form character. And then character defines our destiny. So character is right in the middle of the thing. It's a steering current for your life. And there's some people have strong character and some people don't, you know, I don't like to judge people, but I do judge the litter bugs that throw trash in my yard every day of my life. I live on three rivers road and I'm astonished and I've got them pegged. I can tell you exactly who litter litter bugs are. Now don't take this offensively. All right. But they eat fast food, McDonald's, Burger King, not Chick-fil-A. Never Chick-fil-A. Never have found a Chick-fil-A wrapped up. You it's know, McDonald's and Burger King and sometime Whataburger. They drink a lot of uh, gin <laughs> and beer <laughs> and whiskey, and they smoke just an enormous amount of cigarettes, just like an enormous amount. And, and so, you know, it, it, it sort of shows me a character because I've never seen ever in my yard, in 28 years of cleaning other people's trash up, I've never seen... You know, a go box from chimneys. <laughs> I believe if you change people's thoughts about litter, it might breed an attitude, and then an attitude might turn into a habit, and then a habit might just form some character. And then if character's formed, I wouldn't have to pick up so much trash. I'm getting a little old, and it's getting tough matter of fact sometimes i just take my high powered backpack blower and i just blow all the trash back in the street i just i don't know what else to do i'm repurposing the litter i, I don't know i'm so tired i'm so tired that I just so, so anyway on character today you know years ago there was a, a movie will smith starred in called pursuit of happiness and uh, it was a hit movie based on a true story about a man who, him and his son, you know, were down and out, lived, lived hard, and then finally made it big in the Wall Street world, and now he's worth $50 million. And uh, it was called The Pursuit of Happiness, and so people start pursuing happiness. But then as we begin to study about people, and and, and by the way, guys, statistics and studies now are so accurate, it's astonishing, Because we know the science of studies and statistics, and so they're very, very accurate. And this is what they found in doing a study of many, many people, that if pursuing happiness is the main focal point of your life, you will be one of the most unhappy people there is. If that's your focal point, I want to be happy, I want to be happy, I want to try to make everything right so I'm happy, then you end up being depressed. Sort of like being a perfectionist. You're, the, you're one of the most miserable people in the world because you live in an imperfect world. And even yourself, you're imperfect. And so you're never satisfied with yourself or anyone else. You're never content in life. Content in life. And it's very, very important that we understand this, that, that we, we've got to call it a shift our thinking because we think that if we have more stuff, we'll be more happy. That's what we think. Regardless of what anybody says, that's what we think. But Jesus thinks in a totally different mindset, a totally different avenue. In Luke chapter 12, this is what Jesus said. He said, I want you to take care and be on your guard against covetousness. And covetousness simply is, I want what somebody else has. I don't think what I have is good enough. I don't think I have as much money as you, so I covet what you have, your car, your house, your wife. In the Old Testament, it was your mule, you know, maybe it's your vegetable garden, maybe somebody's intellect, maybe somebody's position. We begin to covet that. he said, watch yourself against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so Jesus just sets the bar right there and says, your life is not measured in what you have. You know, in the last four weeks or so, I've been to three funerals, a 25-year-old, a 51-year-old, a 55-year-old, and a 57-year-old. And, and none of those people took anything with him, and we know that, all right? But, but this is what happens. And one of those, uh, I had the privilege of, of officiating, but every time I officiate a funeral, I read the obituary because I believe the obituary is really a short story of somebody's life. And the thing about a good obituary, it, it has nothing in there about what they had, you know, or a lot of times what they accomplish, But the meat of an obituary is about the people they knew. Their parents, their aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, children. They were proceeding in death by, you know. Uh, it's all about their life, and their life is all about relationships because that matters so much more than possessions. When I think about possessions and having things, I think about King Solomon. He was King David's son in the Old Testament, King David was a warring man, and he wanted to build the temple of God. And God said, no, I don't want you to build the temple of God. I want your son to build a temple. And so so when Solomon grew up, he became king, and 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 he did build the, the, the temple. But one of the first things that Solomon did when he became king uh, is that he met with Jesus. You know, Jesus came to him and said this, said, whatever you want, I'll give you. How do you like that? How do you like God to come to you today and say, whatever you want, I'll give you? What would you say if God came to you today and said, anything? your heart desires. And King David said, well, this is what I need. I need wisdom to, to do what you're telling me I have to do to to take care of all these people in this kingdom. I need wisdom. And it got, God, all excited. And God, and when God gets excited, he just gives. And so he said, because you didn't ask for riches and power and, and for authority and influence. I'm giving you the wisdom you asked for, but I'm giving you everything else. And so he was the wisest man that ever lived almost. You know, I mean, he was up at the top of everything. He had everything he wanted. I mean, let me just tell you a few things that Solomon had. He had wisdom above every other king that ever lived. He spoke about all sorts of things about plants and animals. And I mean, he was just a, an expert in those fields. He had 4,000 stalls uh, for his chariot horses, and he had 12,000 horses total. He had a fleet of trading ships. Every three years, they would go out into the world and they would just come back with all sorts of gold and silver and, and even apes and peacocks. I mean, he had it all. Uh, he, he made silver more uh, abundant in Israel than, than stone. I mean, look, he, he was something. Uh, he has 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's where he went wrong. <laughs> Okay. I mean, he had all these things. I mean, this man had everything. It's just imaginable. And then towards the end of his life, he writes a book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. And I want to read a little bit out of Ecclesiastes for you about what he said. He said, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate. My many flourishing grows. I, I, I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born in my household. I also owned large herds and flocks more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. And then look at this sentence. I had everything a man could desire everything. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Proverbs says this, says, hell and destruction are never full, and neither are the eyes of men ever full. And you can look at it your own life, and you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it seems like we get something we want more. I mean, things change so much. The old is, is no good. We need to get the new. Even though the old is good, we get the new. You know, and then we give somebody else our old, it becomes their new. And we fight this battle all the time. And I've often thought about this. I've often asked myself myself. Van, are you really content? I mean, are you really content with with your life? What about your life? And so as, as I am kind of analytical, I have to define what content means because sometimes I have a word I use and then when I find the definition, I realize, oh my, that's not exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking wrong. So content in the Webster's Dictionary and other dictionaries, it simply means in a, uh, to be in a state of, Peaceful happiness, you know, and that's a good definition. If I was to ask you, do you love peaceful happiness? I think everybody would say yes. Maybe a few drama queens and kings in here would say something different. You like that drama, but most people would like peaceful happiness. But then I went to the Bible and the Bible says that it means to be satisfied or to have sufficiency, which is a little bit different To have sufficiency. When Jan and I were praying this morning uh, about this service, uh, I just began to pray. and I said, Lord, I want to thank you that your grace is always sufficient. And when we finished, I said, baby, you see, now, this is is what we're we're looking at. If we're going to be content, we've got to understand that God's grace is sufficient in the good times and the bad times. You know, bad times are dangerous. A lot of people leave God in bad times. But guess what? The same amount of people leave God in good times. One of my mentors once told me, "said Success is your greatest enemy. More people fall from success than from failure. Doesn't make much sense, but it's true. And, and so, you know, studies show that money doesn't make us happy. We know that money does not. But I will say this about money, because we don't want to be just religious fools. Money will make your life better. It is better to have enough money than not enough money. Money's not evil at all. Some people misquote scripture say, you know, money is evil. The root of all evil, money. But it's not. It's covetousness. It's the love of the money that causes people to do a lot of crazy things. And so, you know, I'd rather be comfortable with enough money to pay my bills than not. So let's not get into a poverty mentality to where we think that, oh, well, the only way to be content is not to have anything. No, the way to be content is to be sufficient. And on the other side of the coin, contentment doesn't give us license to be lazy. Sort of like, well, I got it. You know, this is it. I got it made or whatever. You know, it reminds me of my brother, Steve. He told me a story one time. He worked for the telephone company. And so he went to all kinds of different homes and he went to this one mobile home one time and it was kind of in disrepair. The grass was about four feet tall and a wrecked car in the yard and three or four barbecue grills kind of rusted out. And, and then one of them was going, man, and it was smoking, you know, and, and, and the guy is sitting in a lawn chair, you know, one of those little fold up lawn chairs. He's drinking some beer and, and, and the dog is laying underneath the mobile home and one of the, one of the air conditioned ducks is, come off of the mobile home and it's just kind of hanging and the dog is laying underneath the air conditioned (laughs) bed. And when my brother walks up to the house and says, how's it going? And the guy said, you know, he said, it doesn't get any better than this. (laughs) I thought it doesn't get any better than this for the dog, but I don't know about you, you know? And so let's not get lazy. Let's do what, what Brother Roy Stockstill uh, taught me years and years ago, one of my mentors, when he said, you know, Van, he said, I'm satisfied with a holy dissatisfaction. Which means that I'm satisfied with my life, but I believe there's more. I'm satisfied with God what you've done in, in our church and with me as a minister, but I believe there's more. So how, how about this? Can we just Can we just say I want to be satisfied with a holy dissatisfaction? contentment kind of leads into Hebrews chapter 13, verse five, where God tells us to keep your life free from the love of money and content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So let's leave the money where it needs to be. It's just an instrument. It's just a tool, but let's embrace that God will never leave us or forsake us. He'll not leave us in the good times. He'll not leave us in the bad times. You see, God really never leaves us. We leave God. So we want to embrace God. And then Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, when you take a godly lifestyle and then you put contentment with that, you've got great gain in your life. And then he, he states to us the truth that, you know, we we didn't have anything when we came into this world. And we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. So, you know, I'm looking at what should be a bunch of content people out here because all of you have clothes on. Thank God. Hallelujah for clothes. People say, you are well, you looking good? Yeah. I got clothes on. You understand? You know what I'm talking about, some of you. Like. And so, and and I think you have food. You look like you all had a, a meal in the last 10 days, okay? And so you're doing fine, so you should be content with the things that you have. You see, godliness is connected to contentment. Understand that. Solomon was discontented because Solomon was disconnected. And the reason he was disconnected is because somewhere in those 700 wives were a bunch of heathen women who God had said don't marry, but he did marry. He married foreign wives who served foreign gods, idolaters, that's who he married. And the Bible says they turned his heart away from the living God to serve other gods. So godliness is connected to contentment. And because Sodom was disconnected, he was discontented. So here is a, a phrase I want you to see. That disconnection from God causes discontentment in life. And three of you got that thing. I saw three of you nodding. Yeah. You, you understand? Disconnection from God. You can never be fully content in life as long as you are disconnected from God. Connecting to God begins the process of contentment. Just on the opposite, the Apostle Paul, a little bit about him. He was a Hebrew. He lived in Israel. He was a Pharisee. He was on the upper echelon of the social ladder. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. He was a religious leader, highly influential, very powerful And he was persecuting the church because he thought that the church was wrong by following Jesus. It was messing with his religious structure. And then he met Jesus one day on a road and he had a conversion experience and he became a believer in Christ. Now, prior to believing in Jesus, he had a very positive life, very powerful life. But when he chose to follow Jesus, all of a sudden negativity began to rule in his life. He had a lot of negative things, but he had a lot of positive things. He had a lot of highs. He had a lot of lows. In his highs, I mean, look, this man did things that you and I have not done. The Bible says, he says of himself, I was caught up into the third heaven, and I heard things that are unlawful for me to speak to anybody. Now, I don't have any idea what that is, but I want to tell you something. That must have been powerful. Can you imagine Jesus told you this, or maybe an angel? I'm not sure. He said, guess what? Let me tell you this. And boy, when he heard it, it's like, whoa, he said, but you can't tell anybody. He did the same thing to Daniel. Sometimes God does that. He tells somebody something, then he says, you can't tell anybody. Wow. He had these great, great highs. He raised a young man from the dead one night. He was preaching. He preached all night. The young man fell asleep, fell out of the window and died, went down there, raised him up. Good thing about the church, if you fall asleep when I'm preaching, you only got about 26 inches to fall, probably won't die. And we'll probably just leave you on the floor because we realize that you're very content by sleeping while we preach the everlasting gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had great highs. He brought the gospel to the Gentile nations. As a matter of fact, you are here today because the Apostle Paul broke into the Gentiles and began to preach Jesus. You're sitting in that chair right now listening to this message that frees the living soul because the Apostle Paul had a high, but he had some lows too. He was beat up a lot. He was stoned to death in Ephesus. He was shipwrecked. He was in the sea day and night. He, he, he was snake bit. He was persecuted from city to city. He was imprisoned many times. And he even had to deal with false brethren, false believers, and, and even his closest friends in the ministry deserted him. So he had, he had high highs. He had low lows. And that's why he can write in the book of Philippians to the Philippi church when he said, not that I am speaking of being in need. Need there means extreme poverty or destitution. He said, but I have learned, I have learned, which means because I have used it, because because of the way that I have had to live, I have learned by practice, I have acquired a habit, and I have become accustomed. No matter what state I'm in, in whatever situation, I am to be content You see, contentment is learned. A thought, an attitude, a habit, character, destiny. I have learned. My goodness, he had to learn how to be content. So that leads me to this statement. A healthy connection to God empowers us to overcome every situation. A healthy connection. I mean connected to where when you sing the songs we just sang in the time where we were, we were singing, that you are connected to God. And that song explodes in your spirit because you're connected to God. And when we're not connected to God and we're in this kind of environment, either we will just gaze up front empty or we will just think, well, that's a great song. I love that tune. But when you're connected to God, your spirit is emboldened your spirit is empowered next thing you know you are on fire like inside because God is really t- touching the the cords of your heart the strings of your heart he's like playing a song on your heart I thought my God I, I don't yeah I don't deserve it yet you gave yourself away Just, and that's the way it is man and it's real So he said, I've learned. So if the Apostle Paul learned, then we need to learn. So the question here is, how do I learn to be content? I want to give you four ways that I believe that you can learn to be content. And I believe that if we will just embrace these four things and put them into practice starting today, today, that our life will be changed. Our heart will be turned We will be better for the kingdom of God and better for everybody around us. You ready for it? You ready for these four life-changing points? Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down, and if you're not taking notes, write this down. Okay? How do I learn to be content? Number one, cultivate a grateful heart. Cultivate a grateful heart. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 315, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. You have to cultivate a thankful heart. By nature, we're not thankful people. We're users and abusers. So we have to cultivate this thing. In other words, we have to start working on the heart. And one way that I believe that we are able to cultivate a heart is to really meditate on. On the great things in my life. The wonderful things. Now, I want to give you an exercise as a family. And if you're single, you know, get a friend and just do this. I would do it today, if possible, with your family. Tonight around the supper table, just go ahead and take out a sheet of paper as a family. Draw a line right down the center of it. On the top of one column, put blessings top of the other column, put curses, or you might want to put positive and negative or things we're thankful for, however you want to do it and begin to list the wonderful things that God has done in your life, in your family, begin to begin to write down the the blessings of God. I'm talking about, I've got shoes on my feet. I'm talking about, I was sick and I'm healed. I'm talking about I was addicted to drugs and Jesus, you broke the bondage. I'm talking about our marriage was in trouble and you fixed it. I'm talking about my child was sick and you healed him. I'm talking about things were very bad and you have made things much better. I'm talking about I wanted a baby and you gave me a baby. That's what, you see, start listing those things as a family. Get the kids involved, the little kids, the little bitty kids. They might say, I want to thank God for my bed. I want to thank God for my little ticket toy. I want to thank God for my tricycle. That's the start of a grateful heart. I want to thank you, Lord, that your grace has been sufficient for the most horrible times in my life. I want to thank you, Lord, that I've been successful and you've helped me to stay where I need to be and not become prideful and fall. I want to thank you, Lord, that you position positioned me with people of integrity to help me. I want to thank you, Lord, that you're using me to help other people. I want to thank you, Lord, for the cross. Are you getting the exercise? And if you'll do this, and then take that thing and put it on the refrigerator. Let's put something worthwhile on our refrigerator. Amen. You know, not just a little dog with a funny little or whatever, you know, you know put it up there and then remind people. And when the kids start yay, yaying, you know what I'm talking about? That's Cajun for fussing when they shouldn't. You bring them over here and say, look, aren't we thankful for this? Or when the devil comes to you and says, you're nobody, you're nothing, you're going to fail, you're trash, bring them over here and say, look, I'm thankful that Jesus died on the cross for me. You list your blessing. You cultivate a grateful heart. You thank God for this nation you live in. It is the best nation in the world. We've got our set of problems. Yes, we do. We will always have problems. But I want to tell you something. Our government is the best government there is. And if you don't think so, go live a year in Syria. Go live in Afghanistan, China, North Korea, Vietnam. And you'll come back and say, my God, please forgive me for being discontented. A great heart. Number two, you want to... Control what goes in your mind because we got a lot of negative stuff going on folks. It's bad news. You hear what I'm saying? I mean, it's horrible, but you want to control what goes on in your mind. The political division, the, 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 everything from politics to, to network news, to, to cable news, to, to your neighbor in the backyard, to, to the guy you're working with negative, negative, negative to the lyrics of a lot of our music that everybody's pumping into their brain constantly, just pumping, you know, it's hard to pump lyrics in your brain that deal with, uh, sexual things and violence and have it not affect your life. You know, it is when you go to a movie, that's an action movie, like a lot of car chases, have you ever been in the parking lot of a movie theater after a movie that has had a lot of car chases? You better watch out. You better wa- if I'm in there, you better watch out because I'm driving like it's affected me. You ever watched the movie Jaws? I didn't, go in the, I didn't go in the surf for three years after I watched Jaws, man. You understand what I'm saying? So it affects us it's easy to go negative it's real real simple to go negative it's simple to get caught up in the social media comparison trap it'll kill you you talk you want to get discontented just read your facebook for three days in a row you want to get discontented man people got more than you got they've gone where you can't go they're on vacation in the bahamas Ah, oh, we're in the big in Bahamas. You, you went on vacation to the dollar general store you know what i'm saying and you're discontented and you just can't stand. Yeah, you, know, you know what I mean? Or you look at somebody else's wife and she's pretty. Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. You're stalking up on the Facebook there. You know what I'm talking about. You're discontented. You're all, look, we as pastors, we're the same way. This church is blowing up, got 18 million people. You know what I mean? What's wrong with us? Blah, 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 blah. We got to just control that. You got to control what goes in your mind. And that's why Paul writes in Philippians chapter four, verse eight, when he says, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Come on, Jesus. If there is any excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You have to control what goes in your mind. And the third thing you need to do, you need to commit to godly relationships. We're talking about being content. Now, I can tell you how to be discontent. Marry somebody who doesn't care about God. Now, nobody wants to marry somebody who doesn't care about God, but they start dating somebody who doesn't care about God. And they give their heart away. Young people give their heart away way too early. I know. I was that way. I always had to have a girlfriend first grade. Had to have a girlfriend. Her name was Carolyn James. She had a ponytail. And she was two feet taller than me, but I didn't care. I wanted Carolyn James. And I can tell you, second grade, third grade, a very insecure person. I had to have a girlfriend, you know what I mean, my whole life. I've had a girlfriend my whole life. James has been my girlfriend for 50 years, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And and so, but give your heart away real quick. You know, one day I, I had a girlfriend for one day. To my friend comes and said, what in the world are you doing? She's so ugly. Look at her teeth. And I, I went to and I said, I don't like you no more. <laughs> Is that horrible and cruel? That's why I needed to be saved. <laughs> None of you ever did anything like that, huh? No, no, no. You never did anything like that. You got to commit to godly relationships. Watch this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another. To love and good works, that's what you stir up people to. Not neglecting to meet together, uh, as is the habit of some people. They don't want to meet together. But encouraging one another. So it's love, it's good works, and encouraging one another all the more until you see the day of Jesus approaching. So we get in relationships that build us up, not tear us down. We want to get in relationships with people that draw us closer to God, not farther away. It's so very, very important that we we do this, that we find proper friends, that we find proper friends. One way to do that is in small groups. I know some people are edgy. They kind of, you know, they're, they're nervous and introverts and all these kind of things. But I'll tell you what, if you'll get in a small group, matter of fact, starting tonight at 6 p.m., summer semester, small group starts right here. And so, you know what? If you're in this church and you just come s- Sunday morning and you don't think, you know, and this and that, why don't you just Come on in, sneak in and sit by somebody and tell them your name. It might be the beginning of a great relationship that might help you be better in life. And all the introverts said, amen. amen. <laughs> you protect your heart. You work hard at your marriage. You, you develop that marriage. Some folks don't understand. They think that the ceremony is, it's all done. That, that's not even the beginning, you know? You gotta work hard to have a good marriage. You want a good marriage? Go to work. Work hard. Jan and I have got 47 years of marriage together. And let me tell you something. Now, now, we were boyfriend and girlfriend for four years living in our parents' home. We've known each other 50 years, but 47. Watch this. We're working harder at our marriage right now than ever before. So don't think you got it made because you've been married 10 years. You will work harder to keep it right. And if you leave it alone, it will get bad real easy. Okay. So you work at these, you commit to relationships that provoke you to love and good works and that encourage you. I tell you, if you'll put this in your life, contentment will come. You ready for the last one? Which is the most important one? You're going to, you're going to cultivate a grateful heart. You're going to control what goes in your mind. You're going to commit to godly relationships. And last, you are going to connect to God despite living in this world. A connection to God. A trusting that God's got your back and that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. A trust, a seeking the kingdom of God first. That's what Jesus taught us. He said, I want you to seek the kingdom of God first and then everything else that people who don't know me that are running after you, I'll give you that. Because I'll just give you that. You know, if my kids love me, I'll give them anything. You know, that's true. You love somebody and they love you back. Everything I have is yours and everything that I got, you can come get, just bring it back. Someday. But Jesus was praying in John 17 to the Father. And this is what he said. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. He said, Father, my whole prayer is that there be a connection. An integration between people and you. That's why Jesus came. He came to reconcile people to God. It's not the old story. It's the brand new story. It's the only story that matters in eternity. A connecting to God. You see, when when life caves in, God will be there. When the stock market crashes, God will be there. When tragedy strikes, God will be there. When our plans don't work out the way that we want them to work out, God will have another plan for us. He's the God of the rebound. I mean, he's there. and We miss the shot, he gets the rebound. And then he passes the ball back to us. This is what God does when we have a connected relationship with him, when we are constantly connecting to God. Now, this is what, what God said. I'm finishing with this. One day a man asked Jesus, he said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment out of all of them? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all of your strength, all of your mind, all of your heart. He said, I got that. And then Jesus went on. He said, but the second commandment is just like the first. To love your neighbor as yourself. So right here, God, he just connected himself with people. And he said, everything hinges on Those two commandments. If you do those two commandments, he said, you have fulfilled all of the prophets. Everything that God thinks, wants, desires, if you'll do those two things, you're satisfying that. Imagine, what's the most important thing in the world? God and people. Us connecting to God and we helping others. Connect to God, the most important thing there is. Now, this is what I'd like to do. I would like to pray with you, you who are followers of Christ. I want to pray with you that you would implement these four things starting today. That we would no longer be a, just a hearer of the word, but we would be a doer of the word. That we would take what we have been taught and exercise it and then see if it doesn't change your perspective. And I want to pray with you right now if you don't mind. But I don't want to bow our heads. I want you to look up. I want you to open your eyes as we pray. We're not ashamed. We just finished singing. We're not ashamed. We come before Jesus. We speak the name of Jesus, unashamed, unafraid. So, Father, I'm asking you to bless your people. I'm asking you, Lord God, to give grace that is sufficient, that we would take what you have taught us today, And that you, Lord, would make it alive in our life. No longer just a hearer, but a doer of what you've said. Father, we lay our lives on the line. Father, our heart is that we would be people filled with contentment, with clothes and food. You've given us jobs and money. You've given us peaceful relationships, great church, good friends. Lord, and above everything, you've given us your presence, to aid us in the highs and the lows. You're the God of the mountain. You're the God in the valley. So we honor you, Lord God. We commit ourselves right now to cultivate a grateful heart, to control what goes in our minds, to commit to godly relationships, and to connect with you every day of our life. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Now let's bow our heads together if you don't mind. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that if we will confess that Jesus Christ came, that he died for our sins and that he rose again, if we'll believe in our heart, confess that with our mouth, we will be saved. And there's some of you in here, just like I was over 30 years ago, you need a connection with God. Your life is so discombobulated. It's just everywhere, all around. You need a center point. His name is Jesus. And I want to offer that to you right now. I want to offer to you a relationship with your God through Jesus Christ. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, we're, and we're just meditating on our life and our connection with God, if you're sitting in this room right now, and you're not connected to God, I want to pray with you right where you are. A simple prayer, a simple confession, your whole life will change. If that's you and you say, Pastor, I did, that's what I want, I'm going to actually do one thing. I'm just going to ask you to shoot your hand up and put it right back down. You say, I need Jesus Christ. Thank you, sir. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you here. Yes. See you, young man. Yes. You just shoot it up. Don't be afraid. God will receive you. Thank you, sir. God will receive you. He's never going to put you down. Jesus died that he might lift us up, forgive you of your sins, give you a new heart, a new perspective on life, a new eternity. Anybody else? Just shoot your hand up. Anybody else in this room? Thank you so much, yes. Thank you so much. Now everybody look up at me now. We're gonna say a prayer together on the, on the screen. We're all going to pray it together. Because we just love to help people connect to God. And you know what? As a believer, you might just need this prayer. Simply, what it's saying is, Lord, forgive me, I repent of my sins, I want to serve you. But there's something about the power of confession. When we believe something in our heart and then we say it with our mouth, that connection does something supernatural. So if you're ready, we're going to say it all together. Are you ready? Say this, say, God, I need you. I'm tired of doing things my way. Help me to start doing things your way. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I commit to live my life for you. I repent of my sins. Right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Fill the emptiness in me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to trust you. Help me to love you. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.